You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. This is the CRM Archaeology Podcast. It's the show where we pull back the veil of cultural resources management, archaeology, and discuss the issues that everyone is concerned about. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, and welcome to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 147 for October 10th, 2018. I'm your host for today, Stephen Wagner. On today's show, we talk with Sarah Herr about synthesis and CRM. We also welcome Bill Ochter in his first appearance as a regular co-host. So grab your DX7 because our CRM Archaeology Podcast starts right now. Welcome to the show, everyone. Joining me today is our new co-host, East Coast Bill in Maryland. Hello. Hi there. And special guest is Sarah Herr in Tucson, Arizona. Hey, hi. We're going to talk with Sarah about synthesis, but first uh, we thought we'd introduce or reintroduce Bill. He's been a regular guest or semi-regular guest, and he's kind of finally signed on as a permanent co-host. Bill, do you want to refresh everybody about who you are and what you do? Okay, so I've been uh, a professional archaeologist now for about 10 years. Um, When I first came on my first episode, I was heavily concentrated in the world of telecommunications and the archaeology used to support uh, the building of cell towers and other types of devices. Uh, now I've moved on. I'm a field supervisor now with a uh, a larger architectural and, and uh, environment and engineering uh, firm um, working out of their DC office. And I'm a professional archaeologist, so I'm sort of working different projects. Um, I Constant, my general interests are going to be on sort of uh, the areas around the Chesapeake Bay um, and sort of the colonial period, specifically like the antebellum period. And as sort of a side gig, um, I'm sort of engaging in, I guess, what would be called experimental archaeogaming, trying to put together uh, sort of a, a tabletop role playing game with archaeologists about archaeology. But that's a sort of a side thing. My main thing is just boring, good old-fashioned CRM work. It should be uh, pointed out that you were um, originally one of our super fans. Um, you were the only person to come to our live podcast recording at the SAAs in Vancouver. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was it, a weird it, it was an exciting time. <laughs> I knew who was going to be called on from the audience in that time. Yeah, it, um, it, it was great to have... A smiling face in the audience. <laughs> the topic for today, we are going to talk to Sarah Herr about synthesis in archae- uh, CRM archaeology. She had done a, uh, a survey of CRM archaeologists and presented a paper on it at the EAAs. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, Sarah? Sure. So um, if you don't mind, I'm going to back up a little bit. And there's a um, there's a newly formed coalition for archaeological synthesis that we might talk more about a little bit later. And sure. they wanted to do their um, first European show of what this coalition was about. It's, it's just brand new. They want to bring in some European audiences. So they were going to put on a session um, at the Barcelona meetings this year. And um, I was one of the people identified to speak up for cultural resource management in this format. But that's um, somewhat of a heavy burden to be the person to speak for cultural resource management. It's such a huge field. Um, there's such diversity of thought across the country. And um, so I was a bit intimidated. So I put out a um, survey on um, 
Twitter and I don't have such a big, huge Twitter following. So, so some people, some people noticed it and I was very grateful. And then some people um, answered the survey. And then I also just did a lot of um, email and um, some arm twisting to get, to get the, the participants I got on this. And in the end, I got 17 participants, which isn't a huge sample size, of course, but they represented a, a wide range of countries, uh, companies, sorry, across the country. And yeah, the goal was to sort of get a feeling for how do um, CRM archaeologists feel about archaeological synthesis? How do they define synthesis? And um, how do they imagine themselves or their companies um, participating in, in archaeological synthesis? So, sure. So how do, what do they think about synthesis? Let's uh, just start right there. Well, so it, it was interesting. Um, so I think the goal of the, um, the coalition is like they're, they're thinking about synthesis in these, you know, super grandiose ways of like, how does archaeology speak to climate change? How does archaeology speak to, um, you know, global patterns of migration? I think what I, I, I mean, I know this because I'm in CRM every day of my life as well. Um, but I think um, CRM archaeologists are intensely pragmatic. And so um, for us, um, the, the, at least the folks who responded to the survey, Synthesis is much more um, place-based for, for us. It's regional. It's, um, and a lot of people brought up the, the products that our um, state historic preservation offices um, support, the context studies. And they just wanted to see, you know, really well-developed um, regional questions and, and summaries and, like, help everybody catch up. I don't know about how states around the country are doing their context studies, but I feel like um, maybe there have been some lapses in keeping those things up to date. And so that was what people really focused on is their definition of synthesis um, was just kind of writing these big, having these good supporting documents that would help them write their research questions. But you're thinking that there's like a different definition? Because I, when I, I have to say I'm one of the 17 people who filled out the survey. And in my mind, I think a lot in terms of uh, historic context, because um, I find them to be like incredibly useful tools when I'm dealing with like a theme or a property type that I'm not too familiar with. Right. Yeah. So I think, I think that is the tool of our profession. But the other version of synthesis, which may be perhaps a more academic, academic definition of synthesis, and I think maybe what was, um, is the focus or um, maybe the possible focus of this, um, this incipient coalition is trying to put together stuff that's not, uh, put together information that's not regional, that's not place-based and it speaks to like kind of a higher level of like proce process-based thinking, I, I guess. And um, so, like I said, I, I think there's um, people hold up like some of the great national park service programs and looking at using, using um, archeological data to look at climate change, for example. And I'm not sure that that um, kind of study shows up as much in, in context studies. So th they're looking for big, like what can affect policy? You know, what, what parts of CRM data can affect policy across the country? Can we use, our data to um, talk to lawmakers about something. Um, yeah, I can't quite think of what all the huge synthesis. I, I, I often think of the human migration stories as part of that um, that big picture um, look at synthesis as well. So, so yeah, I think there is there are multiple definitions of synthesis, and that was one of the big um, I think revelations for me in 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 the survey is is how um, how different those are for for people for, for people. <laughs> Um, and, and whether these two groups will be able to speak to each other. <laughs> yeah, when I, when I was reading uh, the article, I was sort of, at least in my mind, I was thinking in terms of like things like sort of like when you hear like meta-analysis studies, um, you're just taking sort of multiple pieces of data, putting them together and trying to extrapolate sort of longer, longer pieces out of it. Um, so I guess 
One of my first questions, and I think this was sort of like even addressed by some of the people in in, in a survey, um, are things like the the quality or even just the the standards being used. Um, we, we see a lot in CRM. The data is not always consistent from report report from state to state, uh, or even from project type to project type. Um, so, like you know, like what what type of tools might might be out there to sort of like understand like if you're trying to use the data of of a region to sort of look for climate change what what would what type of data would you actually be looking for to pull out uh, in order to do something like that so so the i think the other big reveal for me in this in this um was was the um was exactly the the comment about um is data ready for synthesis so so another aspect of this um coalition is that they um, they talk about how um, you know CRM has um, been a profession in the United States for now 52 years, and so there should be 52 years of data that we all have. And so I think in my imagination, I had imagined this great Fort Knox of usable data. <laughs> there was just just piles of things in in you know I don't know database files that we that we could use and draw on, and um, and that's not. Um, that became very, very clearly not the case um, as people um, described how um, their companies and how they they personally um, you know use the data in in what has become very project based archaeology. And so I think you're absolutely right um, that um, there is there is no consistent standard. I mean, how many of us are told um, you know exactly what um, you know people are looking from for our from our pollen analysis or whether we should be using you know, tiny little shellfish to um, measure environment and climate change. I don't think very many of our clients are are asking for that kind of um, stuff. So it's so widely variable, variable between reports. It, the data, I think everybody in the, it, who, who answered this um, survey recognizes that there's going to be a real problem of, um, of, of compiling data that talks to each other and some concerns about, um, well, does the lowest common denominator um, types of categories that you could unify data with, are those going to be what provides you with synthesis? I mean, the patterns will have to be so abundantly and bluntly strong <laughs> to use that lowest common denominator type of analysis that, that will, will, it, will it perform as people, as people hope with these big visionary challenges, um, I guess. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely, well, definitely one, of the, one of the problems is sort of the, you know, this data was never collected with the intention of sort of, sort of having a meta-analysis. Uh, conducted with it, and I think another like another thing I really saw on that. Maybe talk a little bit now. I might even go over to another segment. Is the idea of basically uh, in CRM is is the is the matter of who's paying for this. Uh, typically, with with CRM, it's very focused on the project, on the deliverable mm-hmm. on the report. Um, so we we don't you know part of the challenge I think with with a synthesis how this and like I said I think you're you're, you're you know folks in your, in your survey were definitely pointing this out, is we aren't creating the data that's easily transferable. Uh, we're not looking to do it in that manner and so forth. So would you, like, was there anything really that sort of popped out as far as like maybe an avenue to, tr- to try to help to turn this corner uh, and to make, you know, have to start making the data that's generated by CRM uh, more usable on a sort of a synthesis platform? Yeah, well, I guess, um, you know, possibly two thoughts. What, one is that maybe that is a role for this um, coalition for synthesis is that it can become a place for a conversation that says these are the kinds of data that 
um, I think really help move some arguments forward. Cause, um, I mean, I'm sure that each one of us who is out there in the field and working with our, our data sets in the office wants our data to be usable. I mean, we're all expecting it to be usable beyond the, pro- you know, the project, and we're all talking about long-term curation of our information. Um, but um, we kind of just toss it out there. You know, we're, we're doing our best guess. So if there's something that, um, you know, I think if there's some guidance that says, you know, uh, collect, you don't have to collect everything, but collect this. Um, it's probably both good for our sampling and for our analysis and, and you know, making, our, uh, making the information that we do project by project more relevant. So I, I, you know, I don't know that there's an easy answer, but I think that there would be an interesting conversation about, um, you know, about you know, what data moves, moves forward, the kinds of questions I think we want to be asking as a profession and that we think we can assist with um, in this big picture thinking. Well, that, that, that's really interesting because that was kind of my response to the uh, Grand Challenges article. And and that yeah. you do mention it in your in, in your presentation that you know like when I read that when it first came out and I read it and, and it's like here are all the you know the themes that we can you know discuss and blah 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 and, and it's like well that's great but like what data do I need to be recording to to do this like it it you know it's all very theoretical and it's not drifting down towards like the the methodical right like it's not really asking yeah. it or you know like it's like i don't i don't know anything about like some of these topics and if you want to use my data for that great but i'm probably not recording the right data and i think that's one of the reasons um crm folks really like you know haven't necessarily responded well to the grand challenges and i think it's one of the things that people brought up that they really like about the context studies is that when you do context studies people break down the questions right they they say these are the site types these are the they, they do the middle range theory relationship between the question and the data. And, I, um, and, and so, you know, the grand challenges needs to be broken down into like, you know, Hey, Midwest, you can really tell us a lot about this or, you know, Hey, South Texas, um, you know, your data is really strong in these ways. And I think if we could understand, you know, if there was a way to kind of, um, yeah, I mean, think through how the bridging of our bottom up and top down data, um, maybe we could be more responsive because, yeah, I think we all had that same that same reaction. Like, how are we going to get it past psychology? I think that's one of the questions <laughs> of the grand challenges. And I, I don't really know which data I'm going to be, um, you know, getting in my quarter inch screen to help with that. <laughs> <laughs> but I th- but I think the uh, context model is actually probably a good model as a, as a possible solution. I mean, when we're looking at uh, building context, we're often using previous summaries or um, yep. Sometimes we're even using historiographies of, of sort of past histories of, of a place, uh, especially in a, in a historical archaeological context. And a lot of those things, you know, the author of a of a local history written a hundred years ago uh, was not anticipating the questions that we would inter- interrogate and use uh, their history for in, in, a, in a modern context. Um, so reexamining sort of the you know some of the ways we sort of already go back into the and other mm-hmm. people's datas and, and extract information that's useful for us today uh, might be in seeing what we're doing there might be useful to sort of project forward of like, what do we have in our data that can move right. uh, beyond that? And I mean, I, th- I think, um, you know, f- folks know this, but, but the data that, you know, moves forward most easily, I think we're already seeing being used for big syntheses. So um, like, um, and often that tends to be the um, the more instrumental data. So you see people doing like you know big aggregate studies, like um, like Bob Kelly's project with I think is it all the carbon fourteen dates in the entire United States or maybe North America that he's putting together because that's that's easy data to pull 
pull out. And, you know, I think people do it with, um, but also like neutron activation data and stuff. You can pull together big synthesis data as well. Um, but for our, for our less standard, more interpreted historical archival <laughs> data, uh, it, it seems a far bigger challenge right now. Sure. Um, we're coming up on time for our first segment. Um, so okay. after the break, maybe we can push that question forward to, well, who's going to do this? Um, <laughs> it, it might be a good, uh, good time to talk about the coalition. Okay. So join us after the break and we'll see you then. Hey, podcast fans and digital archaeologists. Have you heard about WildNote? It's a data collection app that works online or offline on your smartphone or tablet, iOS or Android. It allows you to collect field data easily, manage data efficiently, and generate data reports and site records effortlessly. We have a growing list of state site forms built in for your use and some generic forms that will work anywhere. Check out the shovel testing and photograph forms. You can get a free all-access 30-day trial today by going to wildnoteapp.com. That's wildnoteapp.com for your free 30-day trial. Now back to the show. And we're back. We've been joined uh, by Doug in Scotland, uh, who was finally able to get his recording working. Hey, Doug. Hey, everyone. Okay. Uh, when we um, left for the break, we were just about to talk about uh, who's responsible for all of these questions and, and synthesis and stuff like that. Sarah had mentioned the Coalition for Archaeological Synthesis, which outside of this, uh, the survey and her presentation, I've never heard of. So, um, Sarah, can we maybe start off with uh, just discussing what this group is and uh, who's in it? You know, sure. Where do they come from? Yeah. So it's a, it's a group that probably you're all familiar with in a way. I mean, it's, it's a, a, few, a few names changed. But um, so the Coalition for Archaeological Synthesis had its... Um, inception, perhaps, in a um, seminar that was held at the School of Advanced Research in Santa Fe in February of 2017. And um, I mean, it wasn't that this was the first time this idea had happened. The organizers were um, were Jeff Altschul, so former SAA president, and Keith Kintig, and facilitated by Terry Klein, who runs the the SRI Foundation as well. So so names that probably people are really familiar with in terms of thinking of um, kind of big picture archaeology. And so I think um, they've been working towards this thought of archaeological synthesis for a while. And those are folks who are, um, you're familiar with as authors on the Grand Challenges article that we were talking about um, earlier that I think was published in American Antiquity, probably around 2014. Mm -hmm. Um, They're also the folks that were involved with um, the digital archaeological record, um, TDAR, or Digital Antiquity, I think is the the, um, nonprofit that runs that. And so they've been thinking in this big picture way and trying to think about the foundations of, um, you know, about, about archaeological data for a number of years. Um, I think maybe one of the little um, inspirations for doing this, this coalition thinking now, well, there's probably a couple. <laughs> and some of them were probably very personal, like things like, you know, Jeff Altschul had just come off his term as the SAA president and was looking for a new visionary <laughs> kind of, um, you know, th- thing to involve himself with, as, as probably are, you know, Keith Kintig and these other folks. So the timing might be right for them personally, but also I think um, that the fact that um, we did just celebrate uh, 50th birthday of the National Historic Preservation Act in 2016, and um, there was an effort in 2016, um, there was a project called um, Making Archaeology Public uh, that asked every state in the country to create a video that um, spoke to the public about what um, 50 years of taxpayer money had done 
um, and provided um, what, what stories had come out of them. And I don't know, maybe 20 states responded um, to this, but it was a real focus on, on, on what have we contributed? What, where's the data? Um, what can it do? And there was sort of a realization that we haven't, we've got this data, we're great at hoarding it, and we're great at curating it. We talk about curating a lot, but, um, but, but archaeologists had a hard time telling the story. I mean, the fact that 50 states couldn't come up with a you know, five to 10 minute video a piece, I think was sort of stunning um, for people. And so, so also kind of a recognition that, um, that we need to do better in terms of telling the stories and, and giving back a, um, a, a product that, that's exciting and synthesis may be part of, of doing that. Um, so I think that like all of that combined was, was part of the basis for, um, for this um, meeting and, um, and the, the idea for the coalition. So, um, so, so it, it, you know, happened in these two days in, in Santa Fe with, um, about, um, 12 folks that represented a, a well, <laughs> it was very, it was definitely South, Southwest archeology span dominant because <laughs> there was not much of a budget. Um, for this, but it included, you know, a lot of professors, um, people who were involved with some um, well-known, at least Southwest, um, grant-funded and Mellon-funded projects um, that, that that were doing synthesis, and and then I think I was the the, the um, spokesman for CRM. So, so anyway, that that was my my burden was to speak for all of us. Um, so there was folks like like um, Barbara Mills, who has um, a fairly substantial um, National Science Foundation grant to do a synthetic project um, using ceramics and architecture around the Southwest. And there was um, Tim Kohler, who um, I think with a group of folks from Crow Canyon has done the um, uh, Village Ecodynamics project that also, I, I don't know how many years that um, went on for, and it had two iterations, also kind of a big synthesis project. Um, Jerry Sabloff um, from the... Um, Oh, what is it called? The Santa Fe Institute, also a big synthetic um, institution, was 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 there as well. So um, anyway, that was that was kind of part. There was a all all of those folks were were in this group as well as um, many others that I'm not listing. And so, so you know they thought they thought of putting together this organization called the Coalition. They're going to look for a. Um, they I think they incorporated by the end of last year. They decided to do a couple small pilot projects as proof of concept, and then they're going to look for. Um, um, some grants um, that will support bigger projects. But the idea of the coalition was that um, it needed to come with shovel-ready data. And the idea was that CRM had this shovel-ready data. And, uh, and, and so that we could be, and, and I think this has been the standard um, perception of us in CRM is that, that we're the data providers. We're not always, we don't always have the time and money or the structural support to um, provide the, the research. Um, but but so so maybe other folks take our data or how do we participate is, is one of the questions that comes out of, of these things. But, but anyway, so CRM has has this 50 years of data and, and you know, there's folks that are ready to use it. And so that was one part of it. Um, so I'll stop talking for a moment and see if anyone has any comments. Yeah, um, well, that kind of um, well, first, I, I should point out that uh, Bill's in the background. Um, Bill, uh, uh, okay. West Coast Bill just joined in. Um, but that. Uh, kind of brought up a really interesting point um, and we briefly touched on in the first segment, but uh, there, there's this quote. It, it's a really brilliant quote, if, if I can say, um, in, in your paper. Uh, and, and the quote is, uh, the amount of data and sites found are often held up as an example of how we're benefiting archaeology and the academy as a whole. This is rarely ever backed up with any impact statistics that show any actual use of that data. Mm -hmm. um, and I particularly like that quote because it's quoting me, uh, but, but, 
But beyond that, I, I think that like uh, my objection still stands that like the, the notion that we're providing shovel ready data kind of just assumes that our data is inherently useful. Um, and, and we just kind of plow on accumulating more and more data mm-hmm. um, without regard to whether it, you know, like it, it is, you know, usable out of the box or if it, um, it does it have to be, you know, processed? Are we recording the right things? Um, that sort of thing. Yeah. And um, so I, I mentioned briefly that Barbara Mills has this, this good uh, National Science Foundation grant. And um, Bill, Bill may know more about this. So I think he's probably sat in the same lab that, that she's been working on this data with. But I think she's, you know, she's trying to put together a database that will help study, you know, the demography and the social networks um, and relationships across the entire Southwest. And she started from AD 1200 to, you know, 1400 and now has expanded it. And the amount of effort, and, and they're using um, gray literature for sure um, to put together this database. But the amount of effort that they have to go to to um, create this database just for, you know, probably mostly Arizona and New Mexico is going into a lot of gray literature. It's reinterpreting the ceramics categories. It's assessing people's um, room counts for architecture and, um, and it's you know, creating various ontologies. And that's not that to me doesn't seem very shovel ready. It's a very labor intensive process and that you know, they can do because they um, you know, they've got some support for, um, I think, early grad students to help with this, but, but it's incredibly labor intensive. There is not a, there's not a shovel ready database that has, you know, ceramics from across Arizona and New Mexico in one place. There will be at the end of this process when she, she creates this, this master database, but it's not there now. So, so that, that's definitely a fiction that our data is, is ready to go. It's, it's a data mining exercise in PDFs. Um, you know, I assume that a lot of these reports have been turned into PDFs now in our SHPO offices or in paper archives, I think, in our museums and our permitting offices. Um, yeah, or more than that. Yeah. Uh, more, than, more than that. Like, you know, in, in a lot of cases, it's, it's the, you know, we have to go back to the, to the curated materials. Um, and there was a uh, conversation on Twitter um, that I stumbled into a few weeks ago um, that, that basically, you know, the, the notions of like, you know, a lot of federal agencies ha- um, do what, what's pra- uh, called fear- field curation, where um, they're basically mm-hmm. noting the artifacts in the right. field and and leaving them out there. Um, right, right. And, and you know, if if we're not the the types of data that we're recording when we're doing field curation is not um, appropriate, then you know, th- there's no going back. Like we can't go back to the to the curated materials and. and um, reassess them if, if like we left them out there. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think for the, the, you know, this one project I'm speaking of, they're going into the reports, but like, I mean, I don't know that they're going into the photographic archives and all of this. I mean, you're right. It would take a really deep dive, you know, maybe even going back into the sites to get the diagnostics you need. And if your question isn't about time and space, you know, what the UTM coordinates and what the, the, the um, diagnostic ceramics are, you definitely are going to have to go back in. Sure. And I think a, a sort of another problem presented, like, well, while you have this this project you're discussing as an example, without like either like agency or state uh, support of that, it might just happen and fade away. But to be something continue with something moving forward, um, you almost have to almost need to sort of embed it in sort of either the state or agency uh, standards for for archaeological procedures with within that area. That's one of the things I was mm-hmm. thinking of. Uh, with this as a you know as a possible next step 
for the organization might be things to reach out to sort of state level professional CRM organizations. I, because I noticed that you know had, you had a mm -hmm. lot of participation from the from ACRA uh, in your survey, uh, and sort of the next logical step would sort of take it to this sort of different state levels because your state professional organizations, depending on which state you're in, uh, can actually contribute white papers to the SHPO's office, which can directly influence, if not write, the standards uh, for conducting archaeological surveys within that state. Mm -hmm. uh, and there, and that's such you can sort of dictate how how and what way data is collected so that that data can be uh, usable on the back end uh, rather than what you're discussing is sort of this big, huge effort of just trying to synthesize it in a manner so that you can then move it on to the next step uh, for analysis. Uh, so you don't have to reinterpret all of our, all of our data more than once. Yeah. And, and it, it, that conversation has happened a little bit recently in Arizona, not because of the coalition, but from some other sort of frustrating state legislature <laughs> types of situations. But um, yeah, I felt like, like at least my colleagues in Arizona very much want, um, in this case, like our state historic preservation office to kind of demand us to step up a little bit more. I mean, they're not really in a position to do that, but it, I feel like like we are sort of cra craving <laughs> craving this this um, sort of help to, to systematize because, you know, it's hard to do it, um, you know, sort of company by company. So, so looking for that government or that potentially professional organization oversight, I think is, is, is a fantastic comment. Yeah. Cause it'd be really awkward and going nowhere conversation with your client of, yeah, we'd like a few extra thousand dollars so that we can create a help with the synthesis of this data. So it can be used by other people, which won't directly affect you or benefit you in any way, shape or form, but you know, just give us some extra money. Right. Uh, but we'll yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we always like it when we can actually end up with a good story that they're willing to put a few more dollars into so that they can have an exhibit in their, you know, entry hall or something like that. Well, in, in Canada, um, the, the reviewers, the regulators, because um, we answer to the province. Um, so the reviewers, uh, like provincial archaeologists rather than like a SHPO per se. Um, but they have, depending on the province, but generally they have... Um, considerably more power in dictating what they want and how they want it as far as data goes. So um, we have very structured um, requirements as far as like uh, spatial data that we provide. Um, and and yeah. so in like a Canadian setting, it, it would be possible for them to, you know, format, um, uh, you know, basically like here's the types of data that we want because we're interested in these questions province wide. Um, the, the, the dangers in that, and, and, you know, throw this back to Sarah is, is potentially that like, if we become too obsessed about, or too focused on certain types of questions, we might start ignoring, uh, other, other aspects. And, and one of our core functions is to identify like important heritage places, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, which is not on a broad necessarily on a broad synthesis scale. Yeah. And I guess, um, I guess I have two comments. One is that, that it, it strikes me that, that probably a bunch of states have, or maybe all the states I'm sure have, have really good standards for survey data. It's, it's the excavation data that I think becomes particularly problematic. I feel like there's less standards on how we report that. Um, it, so, so there is a basic level of, you know, methodology and, and um, you know, that uni the unifies the survey, but that's not, that's not where the sort of, you know, complete human story comes from. It often takes that, you know, deep dive into 
you know, people's trash <laughs> and then the, the, the nooks of their houses and things. To add a slightly different perspective uh, from a different country, um, over in the UK, they have uh, regional research frameworks. And that's, imagine like the grand challenges only on a regional scale, similar to what we've been discussing. And that um, before, so again, slightly different terminology, instead of having a SHPO, you have a council archaeologist. Um, councils, are, uh, it's better to think of it as like having an archaeologist at the county level. So county level in the Western United States where counties are quite big, as mm-hmm. opposed to the East Coast where counties are quite small. And so, yeah, a similar sort of, you know, fairly large counties and you have a council archaeologist and uh, so when you're putting your uh, proposal to do the work, you would say, oh, and our program of work is going to be this, and we're going to focus on these questions in the regional research framework. Um, and so it kind of works similar to how you guys have been describing a, a system, um, though one issue that kind of pops up that we've discovered over here is it's all well and good to go into a, a project with goals, but as we all know, once you start digging, what you find and what you thought you would find are not necessarily the same things. Right. Um, so it is it is a bit interesting trying to think about how you how you record data to make it so you can basically have a synthesis and plug it into other people's work, especially when you know, that decision may have to be made at like, you know, 10 in the morning on a Thursday, random Thursday, because you suddenly discovered that uh, you now have prehistoric stuff on your site. Mm-hmm. So it is, um, it is tough to pull together that sort of range of data that's usable by other people. Cause sometimes you don't even know until you've possibly already dug it what it is that you're you're actually finding how you should be recording it i'm gonna i'm gonna jump in real quick um we're kind of out of time for this segment uh but when we come back after the break uh, uh give sarah a chance to answer that this network is listener supported we're trying to move away from paid advertising while also creating new shows and supporting the ones we have the apn has never and will never make a serious profit on our podcast Every little dime we make goes back into the network and improving show quality. So become a member today at www.archpodnet.com slash members to show your support, get some extras, and be a benefactor for archaeological education. Members get stickers, a coffee mug, a t-shirt, bonus content, early access to episodes, a private Slack team to talk to other members and the hosts, and full access to training on Team Black over at arccert.black. So check out our memberships at www.archpodnet.com slash members today and support archaeological education. That's www.archpodnet.com slash members. And we're back. Uh, Sarah was just about to answer Doug's question about uh, uh, focused data. Yeah, and actually I was just going to thank Doug for um, reminding me of what um, the part I forgot in my previous response was that um, you know, that, of course, uh, by us um, attempting to focus on um, folks' grand challenges, um, you only look at the strong data, and then strong data just keeps building on strong data. But one of the great things about, uh, uh, or one of the, the reasons that I particularly enjoy um, CRM work 
is that we find all the small, the messy, the unexpected, because we have to, because that's what's in our project area. And that's one of the big contributions of, of uh, CRM is that we study the things that nobody else wants to <laughs> because we have to. And, um, and that, that has to be a contribution to the human story that's being told through synthesis as well. So I appreciated his reminder of like, well, how do you change gears <laughs> if, uh, you know, if, you're, if your um, research design is too focused on these, on these grand challenges? It is um, one of the advantages of having, say, pulling together a, a list of challenges, though, is um, you do have that list. So if you do find something new, um, you basically switch gears and say, well, we were hoping to answer question 16, but now it's 96. So um, it, it, it does work out, but it can be um, messy, I'd say. It, it's not a very clean um, process. Well, one of the things that I asked um, in, the, in the survey uh, was, if, if, if it's not the grand challenges, what are the questions you think are important for synthesis? And I think CRM people would write it. There was an interesting bit of overlap. There are places where, where CRM archaeologists definitely see that we can answer with our data those challenges, but, um, but also identified, you know, so the Venn diagram had maybe like 30% shared or something. But, uh, but then there was another 70% of questions that we thought we could answer. Maybe those we, we try and convince folks are also important synthesis questions. I'm trying to remember what those were, though. <laughs> I think it was the questions of movement, mobility, and migration were ones that, that both CRM and uh, the, the grand challenges thought. And um, the questions of human environment interactions were ones where we thought we could uh, speak together. Uh, otherwise, we had more interest in landscapes and settlements than um, the, the academic uh, synthesis folks did. I think um, CRM, uh, CRM synthesis questions tend to be very place-based because that's the way we approach our projects is in a very place-based way. And so we were interested in, I mean, just about everybody spoke to, to some kind of landscape archaeology being something that we were well-positioned to synthesize. And then um, things that might be more... Um, uh, more expected, like provenance studies, we're very good at that. That's again a kind of place-based study, and looking at um, maybe more functional things than the grand challenges would like us to do, and look at technological change through time. Um, those those were the kinds of big big topics that I think CRM archaeologists felt like they could address. Sarah, um, I know this is all very early days and whatnot, um, but has I guess. Um, how has the sort of public or general communities um, been involved or is it too early in the process to involve people sort of looking at if we're doing synthesis, not just are we doing synthesis because it's interesting to archaeologists, but are we answering questions or trying to put together data that um, is, you know, has sort of wider reach to different groups. And I'm, I'm kind of thinking of that project that happened. Um, I'm, totally going to butcher this, but there was that census they did um, of all the data on the East Coast looking at climate change and stuff like that. Um, so obviously a very important subject, you know, climate change for a lot of different people. But um, for the organization stuff, has, has there been sort of discussions about how you start looking at what you put together, you know, in relation to the communities that are involved with this work? I think. I think, as you said, I think it's early days for the coalition. 
on it. Um, so I think they're taking inspiration from projects like that as they attempt to form the organization. Like I'm, I'm not even sure they've had their first board of directors meeting this coalition. <laughs> they've put together a board of directors. Um, but there's a recognition that one part of, as they create a institutional structure for this um, coalition, that there's going to have to be a person who's savvy with media or storytelling. And, and that's going to be a really critical part of, because um, if it's just us talking to us again, <laughs> which is what all archaeologists do in, in the bar or by the campfire, you know, there, there's not going to be much, much reason to be doing this synthesis. So I think they're realizing that that's going to have to be a component of this, but I'm not sure that's um, been structured in quite yet. Um, so I think they're, but they are trying to use <laughs> the, um, this group. I had mentioned folks like Keith Kintig and Jeff Altschul at the leadership of this group. They've been very good at at least getting opinion pieces into to things like the um, proceedings of the Nat National Academy of the Sciences, which I think they can, um, you know, can, I think some of those are open access or free access. So I think they can be widely shared. So they get it there, but I mean, into, into popular, um, more popular and widely um, read places that hasn't been institutionalized yet. So well, along those lines, uh, you know, for the people who are listening and, and really want to get involved, is, is it, is, is it still time? Is it, is it possible to, you know, get in touch with this coalition, join it or um, participate, or are you still kind of trying to figure out how to get the, the rest of us involved? Um, you know, thinking in terms of like CRM particularly, but. Yeah. So I think um, like right this minute is um, there may not be a lot to do. Although there's a, um, there's a website that's the coalition for archeological synthesis. It's arcsynth.org. And it tells a little bit about the organization. Um, so what they've done is right now they're, they're working on proof of concept. And so they put out an advertisement. I can't remember how actually um, that, um, that sought uh, two pilot studies for, uh, you know, fairly reduced amount of money that they thought that they thought could get done in the next um, couple of years. And I believe those were founded by the uh, funded by the SRI foundation because they wanted to, they wanted to prove this. And they found two studies. One is by um, uh, Stephanie Crabtree, um, I think Washington State University grad, um, looking at archaeoecology. And another was um, out um, was on people and fire relationships. And that that coalition had not just archaeologists, but also kind of land managers and fire managers, and looking at um, people and fire in I think the northern Midwest. So that's what's going on right now. So it's a little bit. I don't know that. There, I don't know that they're going to do any more pilot studies until these two run through. And so there's not a chance and there's not necessarily a chance at the end of 2018, like there was maybe at the end of 2017 to, 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 um, to um, put in uh, proposals for these kinds of projects. Um, Cause I think they're hoping that these are so successful that, that, they, that they can then go to the national science foundation or the Mellon foundation or whoever the big funding sources are um, that I don't know. Um, and then make this something that's far more institutional. And then I think that'll be the time where, um, they'll be looking for a lot more um, varied participation. Um, I sure. think it's the, that Northern Midwest project, I think, is the one that had more CRM data than the, than, I, I think that's the one that used more, more CRM data of the two pilot projects. But uh, th these projects are largely focused on the synthesizer and not um, like data calls or 
or, or is, is there a part of it where um, this whoever's uh, running the projects are, are going out and, and doing calls to um, supply data? I think or, that I, you know? I, my so I'm not 100 percent sure. <laughs> I usually think of myself as about 80 percent correct. So sure. Um, so with that caveat, I, I believe that probably to do this proposal, um, they they had to have some sense of where their data was coming from before they could um, be funded by it. Because the idea was that they would come with their shovel-ready data, as, as it was phrased, um, into this, into this um, coalition. And then the what the coalition would do would be to fund um, meetings where all their participants, so say maybe a dozen participants, could come together and um, sort of create this uh, community of trust, talk about the data, but also be comfortable talking across disciplines into some brainstorming in the hopes that that would reach a higher level of thinking than just an individual PI would do on their own. But I think the idea was that the data was already there or at least um, easily, e you know, e easy to gather and that they wouldn't um, be doing any data gathering as part of this fund, this, this set of funding. So, so no, I don't think there would be a call to, CR to CRM from the two existing projects um, in this at the moment. So I think that part of the, um, the model for the coalition was that um, was that I, I think there was a study uh, or a, a play organization called like the um, the National Ecological Analysis and Synthesis Center in Santa Barbara for a number of years. And people talk about how that um, ecological institute transformed the way people collected their ecological data. And the, the, the coalition was viable for 25 years. It changed the way people in their day-to-day -day practice collected data and worked together collaboratively. And, um, and so people saw real sea change in, 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 in eco ecological studies. And they're sort of hoping this coalition would do the same thing. Like, it does, oh, so now that, now that ecological organization is closed, they feel like it did its thing, it transformed this, this particular type of science. And so now it's no longer necessary. And so it closed its doors. And so there's this hope that this, something about this collaborative synthesis organization in archeology span will, um, you know, it doesn't have to be forever, but, but I hope that it'll transform, you know, the fundamentals of our, of the way CRM and, and academics work together. So that's the very idealized sure. version. I think, I think my survey paper said that there's a whole lot of pragmatics to get over before, before that ideal um, is ready to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I imagine it sounds like it's a big deal, right? And, and it, there's a certain amount of like, how do we, you know, well, how, how do we move forward? And I mean, I mean, part, because part, part of it is, you know, coming from CRM, we, we're kind of like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say territorial, but we're very territorial about our own work. And, and so like the notion of like this, this group of academics out in the Southwest coming up with like a coalition, mm -hmm. you, you know, it's going to rub certain archaeologists that we all know um, the wrong way. Right. Like, it's, it's, you know, it's like, who do they think they are telling us, you know, what we ought to be recording sort of thing. Uh, one of the things I liked, like I was going through the slides of the presentation, which is also very cool, um, was sort of this one slide highlighting uh, the National Historic Preservation Act, uh, especially the line and discussing that the work is in, in, the, in the public interest. And I think as, a, as an interesting framing tool of discussing sort of these synthesis and might overcome challenges of sort of territorialism and, and, and things like that, uh, if we're discussing synthesis as, as, a, as a public service, as, as something in the, in the public interest. And uh, I guess, you know, the question kind of would be then sort of like, what are some of the things 
um, the coalition sort of doing to sort of highlight that, or is it, or is it, once again, it's part of the early stages, early framework? Yeah. Well, so so, so in um, in in the conversation that happened that that um, that February in 2017 when we were um, sitting together just in the inception of of this coalition. Um, you know, the conversation came up just like I asked CRM, what is synthesis? Um, it came up in that room, what is synthesis? And I think there was a real divergence there in the room because there, there were these folks like these, these big science oriented think, you know, academic thinkers. Like I said, Santa Fe Institute was there. These folks who have big national science foundation and, and massive grants, um, who, who think, um, you know, about very, very, well, like the grand challenges and these big policy kinds of things. On the other side of things, though, which I think was more, um, my, my position, and, and that comes because I, you know, am out of a dirt archaeology CRM um, background, is that that you know I feel I feel like the synthesis is also the storytelling in the places we work and in, in the communities we work, and that some of our obligation is to think about public interest every time we go and spend taxpayer money, um, you know, on the side of some road, is to think about a story that means something to the people who are who are right there and connects them to their landscape and you know the people that we you know, whose houses we find, we connect them to the people who live there today. And so I think there's a, maybe an argument to be made about other kinds of synthesis that are, um, you know, more, more heritage studies. They aren't, um, you know, full on science. They're more, um, they're, they're local, but they're rich and, and think about synthesis in terms of maybe enriching, um, in, in an enriching way. And, and, um, so like a context study. Yeah, but, but 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 also but also trying to speak to more than archaeologists. So, you know, so the context study speaks to you know we speak to each other through the context study. But try and try and you know imagine can our work you know be put into signage on the street corners that helps people understand that this you know street has this heritage and it's you know been here for three hundred years and it connected these places. So trying to take you know take that first step and then and then just make it connect to the people who are curious and stop by the side of the road to see us dig. Um, so, so I'd like to see that kind of synthesis as well. Like, like that's, that's, um, that's, I don't know, intensely enriching for, for places and making places feel more unique and feel more special through the archeology span we do. And so I was, I was sort of trying to, to invent in my own head, um, you know, kind of more heritage focused, um, synthesis. And there was other people in the room who definitely work with a lot of, um, tribal members and, and who, who feel that obligation as well to, to the work they do is to, to, pr- to provide something very, very tangible, not just synthesis that serves policy, not synthesis that serves legislation, although that's definitely needed, but also to see it in other ways too. Um, and, um, and yeah, so coming out of the context studies and with that localness to it, but, but then doing, trying to, trying to find a way to do more <laughs> and maybe involving more people too. Like maybe the synthesis is that you just don't, don't just talk to archaeologists, but you talk to other community members, descendant communities, and do synthesis that way as well. Well, it'd be interesting to see if, um, as opposed to like the uh, standard grand challenges in, in that uh, American Antiquity article, that you know maybe there are broader grand challenges that you know essentially our audience are, are, mm-hmm. know, um, w- wouldn't be interested in. You know, w- what do tribal members want to know what what do you know the general populace want to know you know what you know uh, you know if we're doing this for the public what does the public want to know right exactly yeah exactly <laughs> like i had somebody yeah, tell preferably me, something we could answer <laughs> well, yeah so somebody came up and told me that like you know they had family day at their archaeological site and 
and um, you know the folks came up and they were like, you know, so did people have pets? <laughs> you know, I mean, not that archaeological synthesis needs to focus there, but um, but is that a question we've asked? <laughs> you know, it's not it's not been part of my research designs. So. Nice. Well, uh, th- thank you for joining us. Um, we're running out of time. Uh, anybody have any last thoughts? Uh, nothing that we can sum up in the next minute. <laughs> oh great maybe in uh maybe in a few months um as things progress we can have sarah back and uh discuss this a little bit further sure <laughs> well it's fun because it's sort of wild and out there <laughs> and who knows whether it can actually come to fruition no, i think it's sometimes it's worth it's worth trying to do the hard uh yeah. and if we can get halfway there it's a lot better than we are right now yeah I, well i love the provocative part of it wherever it goes well, thank you to uh, Sarah Herr for joining us in discussing synthesis. Uh, a really interesting topic that I think we'd all like to touch on some more. That's it for another episode of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at www.archpodnet.com slash podcast. Please comment and share anywhere you see the show. If you'd like us to answer a question on a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or just email chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Support the show and the network at arcpodnet.com slash members. Get some swag and extra content while you're there. Send us show suggestions and interview suggestions. We want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere, and we want to know what you want to know about. Thanks for all the co-hosts for joining me this week. Thanks also to the listeners for tuning in, and we'll see you in the field. Goodbye. Adios. Bye. See ya. Doug counting down. Not even counting down. Bye. <laughs> I think uh, now I just wait for Bill to laugh. Uh, and that, that's that's I my cue to say goodbye. I usually mute it. I don't know why I think it's funny. So many years, and I still think it's funny. This show is produced and recorded by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle in Reno, Nevada at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info.